Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. Um, joining us later from his mobile office in Nashville will be our favorite coach, Corey Burton. But for now, I'm happy to introduce a man who is not wishing Brent Musburger a happy retirement. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Yeah. Uh, should I just grab my soapbox now or? Yeah, I set them up. You knock them down. That's what, we're, that's what I'm here for. Okay. So Brent Musburger is calling his last basketball game tonight. Um, we're recording this on the 31st. And I could not be more glad that he is retiring. I wish he'd been fired years ago, but this is a guy that just excels in mediocrity. He was a longtime announcer of the NFL, but you don't think of him compared to like Pat Summerall, John Madden, or even gag me, Matt, that windbag, Chris Bourbon. Uh, NCAA basketball, mm, I would think of Bill Rafferty or Bill, Billy Packard. NCAA football, Keith Jackson is the voice of college football. He has no famous calls like Al Michaels, who had obviously the, one of the most famous of Do You Believe in Miracles? In fact, he's known for saying, Musburger's known for saying, You're looking live. No crap, it's a live sporting event. You're not telling me anything. It's like just wasted airspace. And he didn't connect with any athlete like the great Howard Cosell did with Muhammad Ali. And, in fact, I think that's a good comparison because Muhammad Ali, as we know, huge crusader for civil rights. And back in the 1968 Olympics, Tommy Smith and John Carlos raised their fists in solidarity with, like, civil rights, things like that. And... Brent Mossberger wrote in his paper that they were black-skinned stormtroopers, something he has never apologized for, ever, and has not taken it back. So he, he sounds like a racist. And then let's not even get into what he's done recently with ogling Catherine Webb in easily the most awkward bull game of all time until this last year when Musburger decided to defend Joe Nixon, who beats up women. So... You have a guy who's probably racist, clearly doesn't like women, uh, total mediocre announcer. Get him the hell out of here. He ranks up there with one of the most common people that I mute if he is doing a sporting event that I watch. Josh, it's really hard to tell how you feel about him. <laughs> hey, hey, we haven't done a show for a while. I'm like Chernobyl. You need to, like, let me – when we do shows weekly or two, week, two times a week during the regular season, I get to vent – but, you know, in the off-season, it builds up, and I just got to let stuff out. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you got to let that all <laughs> out, especially the timing is very appropriate. For now, though, um, we are going to do a wrap-up of the co- coaching carousel. We're just going to go down the list, every school, um, starting at uh, alphabetically with Baylor and going all the way down to Western Michigan. Uh, just going to give them a grade, you know, uh, I'll basically uh, – like usual, I will uh, I'll introduce it, Josh, and then you can just uh, tell me how you feel about it. So, yeah. obviously, at Baylor, uh, Jim Grove is out after he was the one-year interim after, uh, um, obviously, the departure of Art Bryles because of a scandal that continues to grow by the day. We'll be discussing that a little bit later. But they hired Matt Rule from, Te- from Temple, obviously, was one of the more coveted coaches in the land with a 28-23 and career record uh, with the Owls. Uh, so, Josh, 
Uh, you know, we originally questioned this hire. Uh, how do you feel about it now, especially uh, as more revelations have come out about the rape cover-up happening in Waco? Well, I mean, I think the first thing to keep in mind is shame on Baylor for trying to make the football program the scapegoat. Because, yes, the football program has done terrible, terrible deeds, but it's actually a systemic issue at Baylor. And I think Baylor's administrators are really hoping that if they get rid of the football players, they get rid of Art Bryles, that people are going to think their university's clean, which it's not. Sticking to football. Yes, uh, just Ken Starr just continues yeah. to be one of the most abhorrent human beings we have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, our show today has some nice hot takes already. We're like five minutes into it, but dude, uh, Colin Ken Starr, like uh, a, a bumbling idiot who has no social conscience whatsoever, is not a terribly hot take in this climate. No, uh, sticking to the actual football, though. You know, you mentioned Matt Rule, what he did at Temple, very, very impressive. Because remember, uh, he didn't come in right after Al Golden had turned that thing around. He came in after Steve Adazio. Uh, kind of ruined it. He has some really, really impressive stops on his resume, including like professional stuff. So I think you have to give it a B plus. The reason I'm not going to go to an A is first of all, all the stuff going on at Baylor is a concern, but also despite a really, really impressive resume, none of it includes Texas. So I'm just not sure what his tie as are to that big recruiting state. That's why I'm going to give it a B plus. Uh, and just to reiterate, I think when we questioned it, we questioned it from Matt Rule's perspective on why he would take that job. Uh, moving on to Cal, we uh, Sonny Dykes was canned, and Justin Wilcox, the uh, former Wisconsin, USC, and Boise State, and Washington defensive coordinator, was hired for his first head coaching gig. We covered this one uh, pretty in depth uh, on one of our episodes past. So, anything to add with there? Uh, no, I'll just give it the the grade. I, I think that this is a solid B. We know what he did with Wisconsin's defense, um, but it wasn't too long ago that USC was getting shelled enough that he lost his job there. Um, we'll see how it plays out. Also, first-time coach, major program, that's always a little bit of a cause for concern, but you have to think Cal's defense is going to take a step in the right direction. Uh, yeah, I mean, you would hope so, obviously, after having Sonny Dyke, someone who does have ties to Texas. Uh, he might have yeah. made a little more sense for uh, Baylor at that point. But um, anyway, moving on to Cincinnati, where Tommy Tuberville decided that uh, he was getting a little too old for this bleep, and he <laughs> resigned. Uh, and they hired Luke Fickle, a former offensive state interim head coach, offensive coordinator, general homie at the program. Uh, you like this move for the Bearcats? Well, first of all, I don't know how much Tuberville resigned or if he got kind of shown the door, but just getting rid of that cancer on the program was already like a B-plus move for Cincinnati. I mean, Luke Fickle, a big-time A. Uh, he knows the state backwards and forwards. He's been at Ohio State since 1999 as a grad assistant outside of a short stint at Akron on their DL. He is their co-defensive coordinator. You talked about their interim coach, that he became their co-D coordinator again for the last four years. He's learned under Jim Tressel and Urban Meyer. That's quite the tree to learn from. 
He's coached their linebacking core. We know how good those players were. My biggest concern, honestly, from Cincinnati's perspective is if he gets that thing turned around and wins eight, nine, ten games, like in three or four consecutive seasons, what job is going to come calling for him? Because uh, I think he's course, they're going to be lucky if they get three or four seasons of him winning at a high clip there. Yeah, Two I, seasons, I, and he's getting a Power 5 offer for sure. Yeah, I think he's a rising star. Well, someone else who was a rising star at one point, but uh, <laughs> because our administration is a bunch of inept morons, UConn fired Bob Diaco and brought Randy Edsel back for a second go-around. He'd been living in purgatory for the last year, also known as the research division of the, the Detroit Lions football team. Uh, he bring back a career record of 196 and 104 uh, with stops at UConn and Maryland on the way. Uh, you know, uh, do you like the Back to the Future Part 2 here? Oh, boy, this one's tough. Uh, you know, I'm probably a homer because Bobby Acco has Iowa ties. Um, but if you look at his resume, he really knew his stuff. I mean, he he coordinated that incredible Notre Dame defense with, like, Matt Teo and stuff, and UConn's defense was vastly improved. Got them to a bowl game a year ago, but uh, I guess the marriage just went stale or something there. Randy Edsel, though, I I don't know. We, we, we talked about his recruiting can be good, and that's part of the reason why Maryland made a bowl game this year is DJ Durkin inherited all of his players. But, man, his teams look so dysfunctional at Maryland – I'm not sure. I'm going to give this maybe a D. Yeah, I, I don't love it either. Um, someone who, you know, had to, was pretty much, they were going to have to leave. They've had a pretty bad record at their school. Charlie Partridge uh, was dismissed from FAU, and they had one of the biggest splashes of the offseason, hiring Lane Kiffin, uh, summarily deposed uh, the week before the national title game. Uh, he brings a 35-21 and 21 career record uh, down to South Florida, and you know, people are excited there about him because of he's an offensive mastermind, but he's also a crazy person. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think lost in the shuffle of that career record is a lot of it hinges on a two-and-a-half-year good stretch at USC before the, the wheels kind of fell off. Um, it's really easy to recruit at USC. It's really easy to recruit at Alabama. Um, we don't know what kind of recruiter he actually is. Um, we know he rubbed people the wrong way at the Raiders and Tennessee. I mean, this is like probably the biggest high ceiling, low basement hire out of everyone this go around. And because of that much uncertainty, I don't know how you can go higher than a C, Matt. Yeah, uh, it's because there is so much uncertainty. Like you said, uh, I'm you know I'm right there with you on that one. Uh, their uh, um, the their neighbor down there, uh, FIU, uh, fired Ron Turner and uh, picked up Butch Davis off the waiver wires from ESPN. <laughs> Uh, Butch, uh, best known for his stops in uh, Miami and North Carolina, sixty three and forty three career record. Uh, you know, I think that's a pretty good pretty good hire for them. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly a more stabilizing. Well, he's just a guy who know, who knows what he's doing. He's yeah, done this before. Um, my one concern with him is he's been out of the, out of football for seven years. That was twenty ten was his last time at North Carolina. But, you know, just 
these smaller schools are a different animal. And when you're used to the NFL and Miami and North Carolina, I like it. I'm with you. I do like it. I'm going to give it better than FAU. I'm, I'm giving it a B. But, All right. I mean, I, I wouldn't sign, seal, deliver FIU at winning Conference USA anytime soon. Just I'm, a, I'm a little more bullish on this than you. Um, I, I like this as a B-plus, almost an A-minus. Butch Davis, one thing he's always done is recruit South Florida really well. If he can even get a couple of those kids to stay home, maybe some guys are going under the radar that other uh, you know, other teams who are not from around there don't see. I feel like he could get um, a couple of guys who want to stay home, you know, and in, you know, obviously Broward and Dade counties have some of the most, uh, uh, you know, the most amount of football talent of anywhere in the country. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, so I don't, I, I like Butch a lot, uh, but moving on to Fresno State, Tim DeRoyder uh, was uh, summarily dismissed uh, and they, and we talked about this in season, Fresno State, uh, they got Jeff Tedford and that is a, a coup for them. Yeah, I'm going to give it an A plus. Um, I think loss in the shuffle of Jeff Tedford's career is, you know, 2012 and 2010 were disappointing years, which I'll give you. But 2006, 10 wins, 7 wins, 9 wins, 8 wins, the bad year, then 7 wins, produced a lot of talent at a place where there's so many academic restrictions on recruiting, and it's really hard. He knows offense backwards and forward. He's at his alma mater. He was out of the game for a little bit, so he has to be hungry. But he's also, I think, a little older where I'm not seeing him using this as a way to jump back to a bigger job. I think he'll be perfectly content with being at Fresno for, frankly, as long as he wants to be. This could be really, really good for the the Bulldog program. It could be a return to the Pat Hill days where they were – perennial powers out there and they brought pat hill back into the fold which is which is really nice to see and i think this could be this is going to be a match made in heaven one of the things that tedford did really well while he was at cal was get a couple juco transfers every year that you know could really come in and make a big difference aaron Rodgers was one of those guys and you know fresno state is a is a prime place to go um and it's in a very uh densely populated juco area out here in southern you know southern california uh there's a lot of you know big juco's that produce guys and he will have you know his ear to the ground and should be able to pick up uh the uh you know pick, pick up there and you know really hit the ground running hopefully uh, for all the for all the bulldog fans um uh georgia state uh, fired trent miles and hired sean elliott the uh offensive line coach uh and man who took over after the old ball coach was uh uh, left at south carolina last year sean elliott um josh you know how do you feel about this one well, this is one of those big unknown ones. He's a young guy. He's, um, you know, he played at App State in the mid-90s, so he's definitely an up-and-comer. Not too much experience outside of uh, his time at South Carolina when he was the interim head coach along with some other duties earlier in his career. Um, you know, I, I'm optimistic, but... I can't really give it a super high grade because we, we don't really know much about him. To be quite honest with you, I will probably give it a C or a D because it's just so. I'm just, I'm just giving it an incomplete. 
Yeah, I mean, but, you know, at, at this point, you don't really know much. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the big splashy hires of the offseason um, was Tom Herman leaving for Texas, but in his place, uh, Major Applewhite uh, was promoted from offensive coordinator. Uh, they lost the bowl game, but you know, a lot of people really like him uh, and think he, you know, he can do big things. But I think that there is obviously going to be a little bit of a letdown because defensive coordinator Todd Orlando, who I actually liked more than Applewhite as coordinator went to Texas with Herman. So uh, Major Applewhite stuck around is going to be, you know, the new man in charge. Uh, you know, Josh, how do you feel about this? Well, he knows the state and that I think goes a long way, but uh, I mean, like he really, did he do anything at Texas that blows your doors off? He doesn't for me. I'm going to give it a C. All right. Um, Kevin Wilson was fired at Indiana because he decided that uh, that his uh, players should be beaten like rented mules. Uh, they promoted Tom Allen from defensive coordinator to head coach, uh, a move that was, you know, roundly applauded uh, everywhere around the game. So uh, pretty good move. Yeah, and I think we loved this ourselves way back when uh, when it was done. I'm giving it a solid A. He turned he's turned around a lot of defenses, including Indiana's just last season, and I expect big things. Honestly. All right. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a really good. They should be. You know, I, I think that they'll be right there in the middle of the Big Ten East uh, for years to come. No, I, I think they are. Well, I mean, what are you going to say? I mean, when the, well, you know what? They've got Penn State, Michigan State, uh, Michigan, and Ohio State to compete with on a year in year out, you know, basis. So it's not exactly the easiest job in the entire world, but I feel like they can have, you know, some pretty good. They can have some pretty good years ahead of them. LSU, we have covered um, forwards and backwards this year. They dismissed Les Miles uh, and brought in Coach O. Uh, who had been the D-line coach there at LSU. It is a perfect match of coach and program, but uh, Coach O <laughs> does not have the best track record. Just look at his time at the University of Mississippi. Uh, we, we covered this at Nauseam. Josh, just remind us how you feel. I think he's going to learn from his past mistakes because he's talked at length about that, and evidently he like kept a journal of everything he messed up at Ole Miss. But habits are hard to break. So as a result, I'll just decrease it a touch and give it an A-. minus. All right. Um, uh, moving on from there, Minnesota fired Tracy Clays and brought in P.J. Fleck. We talked about this last episode. Uh, he's rowing his boat to the Twin Cities. He's got them oars out and taking over a program that had a very strange last month and a half of the season. Yeah, and I, I mean a solid – a, from his time at Western Michigan, there's nothing to indicate that he's going to be a flash in the pan. I mean, when you think about previous Mac coaches that have been hired, the, the worst case scenario that comes to mind is, um, oh, why am I blanking on Daryl Hazel. Thank you. Wow. Um, with Hazel, who had inherited a team at Kent State, had them for one year and parlayed that one year into a job. P.J. Flick built the Broncos essentially from scratch. That gives me a lot more trust in him. That's why I'm giving it an A. 
All right. Nevada fired Brian Polian and brought in Arizona State wide receiver coach and recruiter extraordinaire Jay Norvell. He was a wide receiver coach for the Sun Devils, but first head coaching gig for him. Yeah, that's always interesting to go from a position coach to a uh, head coaching job. We've talked about recruiting coordinators, say David Beatty at uh, Kansas, and you know there's some questions about that. But he played at Iowa, graduate assistant at Iowa, spent some time with Barry Alvarez at Wisconsin. By default, homerism, Matt, means we need to – Pop this guy up and say it's an A-plus hire and the Wolfpack are going places. Well, in all honesty, <laughs> I, I, I had it as a B-plus, A-minus. So I, I really like it. He brings really good energy, and I think that he will succeed uh, up in Reno. Uh, Oregon, a school we will be talking about a lot later, uh, they fired Mark Helfrich because he wasn't Chip Kelly, brought in Willie Taggart, and a lot has gone on there. We've already covered Ooh. that. And so we'll get, we'll come back to Oregon when we, when, <laughs> yeah. when we're talking about uh, everything that's going on with that coaching staff. Purdue uh, fired the aforementioned Daryl Hazel because he had the worst winning percentage in the history of the Big Ten Conference. Brought oh, in Jeff Brom from Western Kentucky, who has a 30 and, a 30 and 10 record as a head coach. Really impressive stuff. Uh, and we all liked this hire uh, back when it was made in December. Yeah, I think the one reason why you would ever tap the brakes on Jeff Brom is he took over for Willie Taggart. Willie Taggart is the one who turned Western Kentucky around uh, along with when Petrino was there for one year. However, there is something to say about sustaining that success, which is what Brom did. And actually he probably even built upon it. You know, there's that old saying that it's like the easiest pounds to lose are like the first 10. And it's those last five that kill you. I think with football, it's kind of the same way. It's easy to go from, you know, being awful to competitive. Sometimes it's harder to maintain that and even build upon it. So Jeff Brom, I do really like that. I'm giving it a solid A, maybe an A minus if you want to nitpick. Uh, I'm with you there. San Jose State fired Ron Carragher, brought in Brent Brennan from Oregon State, who was another position coach, another wide receivers coach. In fact, uh, I have an incomplete because not a lot is known about Brennan. Pretty young guy. Yeah, and I mean, the, the difference between him and, uh, and Jay Norvell is Norvell has been around a little bit longer and at previous stints was a uh, was a co-offensive coordinator, and uh, I'm not sure Brett Brennan is. I think he's a lot younger, right? Yes, he, he, he's, so, yeah, he's a guy who's, you know, late 30s, yeah. early 40s. So. Yeah, so that's kind of an incomplete for me yeah, as well. Definitely. Uh, Matt Rule, obviously, uh, left Temple. His replacement was the Florida defensive coordinator, Jeff Collins, uh, spelled the proper way, G-E-O-F-F. And he is another first-time head coach here. So, uh, you know, obviously Florida's defense is the only thing that had, they had going for them last year. So you would imagine that he is going to, you know, keep bringing that hard-nosed personality that Matt Rule had at, uh, at Temple. Yeah, and you sort of see the template that Temple went with, uh, how Matt Rule was a defensive specialist, coached at some big-time schools, but had never gotten a head coaching opportunity, and they did the exact same thing with Collins. Uh, in addition to his Florida stop, Collins was pretty good on Dan Mullen's staff at Mississippi State. Uh, so I, I think this is a big hire, and I know that it, you know, this isn't a great benchmark because, like, why would Matt Rule care because he – was leaving, but when they made that announcement, 
Rule seemed genuinely ecstatic for at higher and thought that Collins was going to be a home run. Well, and, and the the way like the body language of Rule when I to me it didn't it felt more genuine. It didn't feel like it was a false platitudes. It, it seemed like he really did care. Well, you know, we obviously wish the Owls the best. Their team we all enjoy watching. Uh, a team that we don't really enjoy watching usually University of Texas uh, hired Tom Herman in. Uh, you know, who is the sought-after guy this season. We covered this a bunch. Um, you know, really good hire with a little bit of trepidation. Yeah, and you saw how Houston had some up and downs. And they would show up for huge, huge games, but then have these, like, confusing games against teams they should have destroyed. And then... I, I know he was one foot out the door, but that Memphis game, the team really didn't show that much heart in the first half. And if you remember, one thing that Charlie Strong really tried to clean up was at the end of Mac Brown's tenure, Texas kids sort of just assumed they were going to win because they were wearing the burnt orange and had Texas across the chest. It seemed like Mac Brown sort of let the work ethic slack a little bit. And I got to be honest, I sort of felt the same thing with Tom Herman's teams at Houston where I didn't see some of the work ethic being there. That's my trepidation. I'm still going to go to B-plus, maybe even an A-minus he could convince me on. But um, the proof will be in the play. Yeah, I, 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 like, I like the move for him. Obviously, it's, you know, Texas, one of the power names in college football. But, you know, he also brought Todd Orlando with him. And I, I love Todd Orlando as a defensive coordinator. I, I think he's, you know, has some really great schemes, runs, and attacking 3-4 uh, that, you know, fared pretty well for the most part uh, during the year. But uh, Charlie Strong, the former coach of Texas, is now taking over for Willie Taggart at USF. And this is, a, this is one that is, I've got as an A+. Yeah, how can you not? Um, you know, this is a guy who I think people forget just what he did at Louisville. Uh, yeah, I think uh, 22 and 3 in his last two seasons. Yeah, 37 and 15 overall. Craig Thorpe just did not work out. Louisville was down on the mat, and he built it so well. And his Texas teams just had no depth. And you could see they were close to turning the corner. You could see flashes of brilliance, but they just couldn't sustain it. Uh, at South Florida, goes back to a little bit easier, knows the state from his time up at Florida, fertile recruiting ground. I think this could be a home run. And he's got a nice little present waiting for him there in Quentin Flowers. Uh, who is a, a guy I'm going to love this whole coming year for the Heisman. Uh, uh, yeah, he's a pretty useful player. Yeah, player. so uh, Jeff Brom went to Purdue from Western Kentucky, and they brought in uh, Notre Dame's offensive coordinator, Mike Sanford Jr., another guy I basically know nothing about. Well, the only thing that you can really pin your hat on is uh, offense hasn't been the issue for Notre Dame the last few years. And Western Kentucky loved to put up points. So they got an offensive guy. They seem like they have their identity. And I, I will give Mike Sanford a, a chance to really keep that machine running down there. The Hilltoppers just have a really well-run athletic program, it seems like. 
Yeah, they definitely do. And there's no reason to think that their program will not continue to be one of the strongest in their conference. Um, Western Michigan lost PJ Fleck to Minnesota, brought in Purdue quarterback coach, Tim Lester, another guy, first time head coach. We had a lot of those this year. Well, you know, Purdue quarterback coach had uh, plenty of Purdue quarterbacks out there. Three schools used Purdue yeah. quarterbacks. Um, I, I think, honestly, the and none, and none of those schools did all that well in offense. Well, that's true. Uh, I, I think, honestly, the main reason they picked up Lester is he's a Western Michigan alum, and I think they saw the energy that Fleck had and are assuming that Lester – having graduated from them, will continue to have that energy. But, I mean, my goodness, Purdue quarterback coach. They couldn't find anyone. They couldn't promote from within the staff. I don't know. It'll We'll see. That, get, that one gets a big incomplete. For me. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, that, that's going to do it for our coaching wrap-up. Uh, we got a couple other things we want to talk about in relation to the coaching carousel. Uh, let's start uh, back where we did at the beginning with Baylor again. And obviously, the uh, the allocations are coming out hard and fast. Uh, just this week, or I should say, last Friday, uh, there was uh, there was a lawsuit filed uh, claiming that Baylor football players committed 52 rapes in a four-year span from 2011 to 2014 under Coach Art Bryles. This is absolutely heinous allegations. And you know, I, I mentioned my distaste for Ken Starr earlier. And, you know, I, Art Bryles played the, the willfully ignorant character uh, when he was dismissed from the university. Uh, but I think that this is showing more and more that there was some blood on his hands. Without a doubt. And just to put that in, I think, a really, really disgusting perspective, 52 in four years is an average of 13 a year. More than one but, a month. Yeah. I mean, that is just obnoxious. Like, how can you not know that? Uh, I mean, it's beyond words. It's it, it's so disturbing uh, to read through the lawsuit that was filed. It, it, it expresses some very uh, disturbing and heinous details that uh, happened at um, – uh, that happened at these uh, these parties and uh, with these hostesses that were, um, you know, there to lure recruits and players. And it's, it's especially hypocritical that it's at a school that prides itself on its uh, Baptist beliefs. And this is about as uh, against the Christian interpretation of the Bible as I can imagine. And, I just want to reiterate, like I said something earlier in the show, is don't let the university contain this as a football problem because in addition to what the football program was failing to do, failing to discipline these people, failing to look out for the female student body, in addition to the contained issue of the football, this was a university-wide thing. There were tons of rapes on this campus committed by non-football playing males. And, and don't let the, the university hide that fact. And, you know, you know, they can't even say that it's a, oh, it might even just be an athletic department thing. Um, because we know this is the kind of thing that goes to the top. 
And, you know, any sort of in-house investigation, I'm always going to question because they clearly did not disclose them in the first place from being in-house. So, um, anyhow, it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a very difficult first season for Matt Rule at Baylor. Who knew, who knew that a basketball player killing another basketball player over drugs and the coach trying to hide that would only be the second worst scandal in Baylor athletic history. Yeah, that's, that's nuts. That's absolutely nuts. The school's a joke. I mean, where's the NCAA on this? Ugh. Oh, I mean, the NCAA, to use a Wilbon turn, is being Barney Fife. If there was a breathing, living and breathing commissioner. <laughs> uh, you know, but it's, it, it's just, it's, it's more evidence than ever that the NCAA is spineless and, yeah. and has no actual authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyhow, but, you know, uh, it's like the old, uh, uh, you know, the old adage goes, what was it? I think uh, if they, uh, they they find uh, 10 violations at Alabama and give five of them to Auburn or something like that, um, <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll, they'll find the 20, you know, 80 violations at Baylor and give half of them to UTEP or something. <laughs> so anyhow, um, in a completely different kind of scandal up in the Pacific Northwest, we have uh, two newly hired coaches, one of them getting drunk and getting a DUI and getting uh, booted. That was uh, co-offensive coordinator David Reeves, who lasted in Eugene all of about three and a half weeks. Uh, also strength and conditioning coach, um, uh, led a workout uh that led to three uh, duck football players being hospitalized. I don't, you know, there are still uh, some things that I think we don't know about this situation here with, with this workout, but the, the Reeves situation is much more cut and dry. Yeah. The one thing that you're always worried about is um, with a DUI is, was it one isolated mistake and is the university overreacting or does he have a pattern of it? And if it's a pattern of it, you really would hope the university would do more than just straight up fire him and help him get alcoholic counseling. Well, the thing like that. he, I mean, what loyalties does the university have to him? He hasn't even been there a month is, is, is my question. I know, but like, I mean, I don't want to trivialize it, but I, I mean, you can make a mistake that, like, I don't know why the university has to fire you. Like, it's felt like a little bit of an overreaction. Well, I think it, I think it was they had this overreaction because it came right on the heels of the uh, of the strength and conditioning coach. Yeah, and I think if that if that doesn't happen, if if those three players yeah. are not sent to the hospital, uh, David Reeves has a job. He's just suspended for you know, two months and enters rehab. Yeah. It, it just seems like, I, I don't know. I just think that was a, a big overreaction um, potentially. But again, you know, we don't know what he did at USF. Maybe he has like eight DUIs on his record. Yeah. We, we, we just don't know. So um, in terms of the, the strength and conditioning coach, um, it feels really weird to say that I'm in a good position to talk about this, but one of the Kirk Ferentz lowlights was, um, several players got sick with uh, rhabdomyalysis, mm-hmm. which they got from working out. And 
it was because they overexerted themselves. Uh, it's like a stress-induced syndrome from for doing this thing. But what was weird was, at least according to the coaching staff and the strength and conditioning coach, who's still at Iowa, they said that it was the same workout that they'd always been doing. And I think that's a good example of, like, not everyone's going to react to the same workout the same way. And, and- – can, can I just kind of jump off that yeah. point really quick? You know, these are not athletes that they had coached before or they had recruited. Yeah. So they, they don't, you know, most of these guys don't know what kind of conditioning they had been doing for the entire season. So yeah. they, you know, and maybe I, I think it was pretty evident that this Oregon team was not in the best of condition this year throughout the season. And, but USF was a team that, you know, they consistently played a hundred plays on offense and yeah. they, they were able to, you know, keep their tempo working and they were a very well conditioned team. And I think that obviously Tiger wants to bring that ideology with him to Oregon. So, you know, in maybe this would have been just another day at the park at USF, but at Oregon where, mm-hmm. you know, some of the athletes have a propensity for, for being divas, not exactly being <laughs> workout warriors, you know, th- this is not going to say bound to happen, but, you know, and obviously there are steps that the coaching staff could have taken in order to prevent this. But mm-hmm. it also goes back to the idea of, of a culture is you don't want to, if you drop out from the workout, well, you might lose your spot. So, you know, you've got to overexert yourself. So it, it's a very fine line. Agreed. I, I just think that based on what I'm seeing and how quick Oregon was to fire one of these coaches, discipline the other. I'm wondering if it's already like how Texas kind of had Charlie coach with one hand tied behind his back. It's like, are they really letting Willie have the program he wants? Or is the University of Oregon, the athletic director, Nike, and all that, trying to pull the strings and have Willie coach the way they want them to. And that's the struggle that we're going to see play out over the next couple seasons. So, um, well, without the coach here, we're really not going to get into recruiting because that is his domain more so than yeah. us. And uh, so we're, we're going to wrap it up here for the day on a yeah. motion. But coach had a crazy long meeting. Stood us up. I know. Well, happen. you know, that happens when you're the coach sometimes. Sometimes you got to, you know, do a little extra scheming after school. <laughs> so, um, anyhow, uh, we will check you uh, later this week uh, with a recruiting day wrap-up and a recruiting day, a signing day wrap-up, I should say. And uh, then we'll be getting to some of our off-season pods, and I think we've got some, some good stuff for you listeners out there. So, on behalf of uh, the coach, Corey Burton, who is not with us at the moment. and This behalf- is where he would yell out, oh, yeah, right? No, see, not, now you're cutting me off early. Uh, and on behalf of our good friend from Big Ten and Counting, the intrepid blogger Josh Cook, this is Matt Perkins, the professor, saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.